Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Therefore, the king, therefore sent he thither horses and chariots, a great host, and they came by night and compassed city about. When the servant of the man of God, that's Elijah's servant, was risen early, gone forth, behold, the host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. His servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? He answered him, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes, that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So this is a repeat of what happened to Joseph. At Dothan, it looked like Joseph was, was done for. He was going to be killed, but God saved him. Again at Dothan, it looked as though Elisha was done for, but God saved him. And that shows us to remember that the Dothans in our lives, where, we, where it looks like the tragedy is going to happen, they don't. And in verse 17, it's so strong. The determination there is so strong, you can feel it. In Joseph, when it says in verse 17, it says in verse 17, Joseph went after his brethren. Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. You know, when it says that Joseph went after them, it shows us he was on a hunt. He was tracking them down. And sometimes, you know, we have to do that with the lost. We have to do that. You know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing for each one of us to sit down and ask ourselves the question, which lost friends do we have? Which lost relatives does God want us to do the verse 17 routine? Joseph went after his brethren. Which friends are, which relatives are that we have that God has put on our hearts? You need to be like Joseph, you need to go after them. I mean, we're not always gonna have the strength we're not always going to have the ability or whatever we have left now is not going to be for going on to be able to go after our lost friends and relatives. You know, as we age, we lose the ability. I'm so glad. In my case, I took the time years ago to go to Petersburg, Virginia and find all the Jewish people who knew my grandfather, the rabbi that started the only synagogue in Petersburg. And I'm so glad that I was able to sit down with them and tell them what happened to the rabbi's grandson. <laughs> to their shock, you know. <laughs> How the rabbi's grandson found the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it was a setup, I'll tell you. I mean, I went there and says, I'm the rabbi's grandson. I'm, I'm, I'm the grandson of Louis Cantor. Oh, really? Won't you sit down? Yes, yes. Oh, okay, now let me tell you what happened in my life, you know. <laughs> then I didn't have such a long stay with him. 
But it was not an easy trip. And I had more strength then than I have now. And one of the men that I spoke to who knew my grandfather, the rabbi, was Red's Bassman. Now, that name will be real familiar to you if you were a football fan in the 1930s and were a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> because he was the halfback for the Philadelphia Eagles. He was the oldest uh, living man who had been on the Philadelphia Eagles. 1934, he made a very famous interception, ran 45 yards for a touchdown. They won the game. And so he was the oldest Eagles player alive. And when I spoke to him, I remember sitting in his living room with his wife, Helen, and he was at that time 95 years old when I told him how the rabbi's grandson had found the Lord Jesus Christ. And he stopped me and he said, that's enough. I, I prayed for him almost every day since then. I hope Reds turned to the Lord because two years after that, he died. And so like Joseph in verse 17, I went after Reds and all those other uh, surviving Jewish people in Petersburg that knew my grandfather, and I'm glad I did. I'm glad that I went to Ohio. I'm glad I went to Florida to go after my family to tell them how the Lord Jesus Christ, I had found him as God and the only way to heaven. I'm glad I went to Cincinnati on that night. I'm glad I went after, like Joseph went after his brethren. I'm glad I went after my Aunt Jane Pearlstein in Cincinnati, who I hadn't seen for 50 years. And when I was about 10 miles to her house, I'm calling her on the cell phone, and she's telling me, I don't, I can't remember you. <laughs> I don't know why, it was only 50 years ago. <laughs> and then she was, it was, she was all alone, living alone, and she said, you know, I'm not sure I really want to let you into the house. <laughs> and it was cold, it was raining, it was dark, it was Cincinnati. And I remember how, boy, did I have to do a sales job on the phone to get her to let me into the house. You know, talking about my mother and so forth. But I spoke to her for four hours until she finally said, that's it, you got to leave. And when she did, I said, okay, I'm leaving, but I'm going to ask you not to do anything, just remember something. And I said, can you just remember that God has a name? And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you ever find yourself alone, desperate, no one to help, that, that you, you shouldn't just call out to God because that letter is going to be returned for lack of sufficient address. But you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Months later, she wrote me and said, it happened. She said, I was walking in my house. I fell. My back went out. I couldn't blink an eyelash. I was absolutely helpless, no, no, all alone, desperate. And she remembered what I said. And she called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He answered that prayer, immediately healed her back. She got up. And so she, she wrote me. She said, I'm amused. <laughs> I said, amused. So we were going, my wife and I were going to opening day creation museum in Kentucky. So we drove to Jane's house and I led Jane to the Lord. And one month later, Jane died of a heart attack, but she died saved. Praise the Lord. So I'm glad I did what Joseph did in verse 17. Joseph went after his brethren. And then the question is, is there some lost friends? Are there some lost relatives that you have and you know that you have to go after? You know you have to do the verse 17. Now now's the time to determine to do it with the determination that Joseph had. Now, you think that with all this determination that Joseph had that his brothers are going to give him a nice welcome? Because in verse 18, we see their response. When they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. 
to kill him. Now here's Joseph's, here, here Joseph's brothers were. They so hated him. It's kind of hard to imagine. But the hatred that they had for him was so great that they just kind of see him away off there and this hatred becomes inflamed, inflamed, inflamed. And so verse 17 is just a remarkable scene where, where Joseph is far, far away from them and they've just kind of made out, oh, yeah, I guess that's Joseph, yeah. Will you see the coat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those bright colors, those dazzling, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's the way he walked, I don't know. But however it was, they knew that's our brother, that's Joseph. And they, and they, just, they just kind of made out, oh, it's Joseph. They start this conspiring. These are horrible words. They conspired against him to slay him. I mean, this shows how premeditating this was. Boy, if they went to court, and if there's any question about it, is this first-degree murder? Is there any premeditation? I mean, this is their premeditation here. And, and they were so deliberate. They were determined. They were resolved. And they were intending to kill Joseph because they hated him so much. You know, the Hebrew name for Jesus is Yeshua, which means God will save. It's like Joshua. God saves. But in Israel... The Lord Jesus is commonly, he's not called Yeshua, he's called Yeshu, Yeshu, which is an acronym, which is an acronym, and it means may his name and memory be forgotten, obliterated, gone. Which is why when the Jews for Jesus hold their, their grand Behold Your God campaigns, they stand on street corners of busy streets with a big banner that says Yeshu equals Yeshua. <laughs> All right? So, this is a remarkable scene here. As we can see, Joseph, who's still far away from his brothers, and he's excited, Joseph's excited, that finally he's found his brothers. Oh, this is great. Joseph is just full of love for his brothers. He's probably, he's probably running. He's probably yelling. He's probably, he's probably saying, oh, I found you. He's all excited, you know, love and care. And he's running, and he's shouting, and, and he's care for them. And they're conspiring to kill him. I mean, this is a picture. This is a perfect picture of Psalm 1094. Psalm 1094. For my love, they are my adversaries. But I give myself into prayer. I mean, there was Joseph with his love for them, and they were his enemies plotting to kill him. In, in Psalm 37, 32, Psalm 37, 32. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. That's it. The wicked are watching him as he's approaching him, and they're seeking to slay him. There were his brothers. They're watching Joseph, and they're seeking to slay him. Mark 14.1. Mark 14.1. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. I mean, there's the Lord Jesus. He'd healed. He'd healed them. He taught them. And they're planning how they're going to kill him. Yeah. And the same for Paul in Acts 23.12. Acts 23.12. When it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And there's Paul. He loved his people. He loved the Jewish people. And he healed also. He's teaching them. And they're planning on how they're going to kill him. Now, you wonder when you read this, how did this, how, how is this possible? How could they have gotten themselves so stirred up? How could they get themselves so inflamed 
to be in this state of wanting to kill him. How, do you, how does that happen? Well, very revealing in verse 19 when it says, and they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. I mean, how do brothers bring themselves to the place where they're willing to kill their brother? Verse 19, they first must despise Joseph. Before they stripped him of his coat, they stripped him of his position as, his, as their brother by mocking him. The Hebrew actually reads, behold, this master of dreamers, of dreams cometh. It's a mocking. This was a mocking. They didn't call him the interpreter of dreams, but the master of dreams. In other words, the person who creates the dreams and the person who interprets the dreams. Calling him the master of dreams, they mocked him. They mocked Joseph. It was that mocking that stripped him of his dignity and made them despise him. That's exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. How do they bring themselves? How do they bring themselves to do this to him, to the Lord Jesus? Psalm 22, 7. Psalm 22, 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. That's mocking. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Matthew 27, 29. Matthew 27, 29 reads about him. When they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. It was this thorough mocking. It was this despising of the Lord Jesus that was predicted in Isaiah 53.3. In Isaiah 53.3, he is despised. He is rejected of men, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. We did not take him seriously. They did not take Joseph seriously. So, after, through this mocking, they had devalued Joseph. Then they were ready for the uniting. This was the united, this was the united brothers. The united brothers are going to kill him. And you see this in verse 20 with these words. Come now, therefore, let us slay him. Isn't it interesting that it's the same words that God uses? Come now, therefore, and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. But this is a different come now, therefore. This is a come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. See, these words, come now, therefore, let us slay him, is the call for unity, for all the brothers to join in on the murder. All of you put your hands to the murder. I mean, there were probably ringleaders. We don't know. It's been very much conjectured that it was, a, it was Levi and Simeon because they seem to be the violent ones. They were the ones who led the slaughter of the Shechemites. There were leaders in the crucifixion of the Lord who incensed the crowd to cry out to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. And this really raises the question of why his brothers wanted to kill him. Why did they want to kill him? You know, it may have been that they had a secret fear that just maybe his dreams would become true. And they didn't want any bowing down to him. So the only way to prevent that from happening is to kill him. And again, how, ma- how amazing is this scene to see Joseph seeking peace for their souls while they're bloodthirsty and conspiring to kill him. It's just like what it says in Proverbs 29.10. Proverbs 29.10. The bloodthirsty hate the upright, but the just seek his soul. 
He's concerned for their soul, and they're trying to kill him. I mean, just like the description of the martyrs of the Lord Jesus in Revelation 17.6. Revelation 17.6 says, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. That means like he marveled. Or, or maybe they just wanted to kill him so that Joseph would not get the inheritance of the firstborn, which reminds us of the parable that the Lord Jesus spoke in Luke 2014, Luke 2014. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. All right, now, they got a plan. And their plan was to kill him and then cast him into some pit. There were a lot of pits there. Pits of the cisterns, they dug those pits, the shepherds dug those pits, they were deep, they were wide, and they had a narrow opening at the top, preventing evaporation, and then they put a stone to cover the opening. So during the rainy seasons, the cisterns would fill up with water, and during the dry seasons, the shepherds could use the water to to water the flocks. But for a good amount of time, those pits had no water in them. We don't don't know what they had in them, probably slime and scorpions and snakes, I don't know. But now... Like all plans that are based on lies, they were not thinking, <laughs> you know, because you, you, they don't want to think very far because someone, sometime, is going to notice a smell, right? <laughs> or someone, sometime, is going to see a skeleton, and news of that is going to spread, possibly reach back to Jacob. I mean, that reminds me of the boy whose father planted a watermelon patch, and his father told him, not to eat any of the watermelons. And the boy was wide, had his eye on one watermelon, and when it just ripened and no one was watching, he, he went there, broke that watermelon open, ate it, so sweet, and then he buried all the remains. He said, okay, now fine, I just I got away with it. Until that area where he buried it started to sprout watermelons. <laughs> so the boy experienced and the brothers experienced What's written in Galatians 6, 7. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, we see that they really were worried that his dreams might come true because of what they said in verse 20. We shall see what shall become of his dreams. See, they went back to the content of his dreams. They thought, you know, we can stop the dreams from coming true. By killing. See, that's just like Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 1. Psalm 2, verse 1, where, where God asks this question Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, that's determination, and the rulers take counsel together, saying, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. See, the kings of the earth and the people imagined that they can free themselves from God's power and authority. They hated the message so much that they thought that they could destroy the message by destroying the messenger. And the brothers hated the dream so much that they thought they could destroy the dreams by destroying the dreamer. People hate the message of the Bible so much that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun that they think that they can destroy the message by destroying the preachers, the messengers. And the reality is, they can destroy the dreamer, but they cannot destroy the dreams. They can destroy the messengers, but they can't destroy the message. People can kill the preacher, 
but they can't kill the message of the preacher. All right, now it's interesting. In, in verse 20, they decide on their, you know, this is our story, we're going to stick with it, the routine when they said, with these, with these famous words, we will say. You know, we will say. You know, we will say. It's a total fabrication of a lie. But these words, let us, we, you know, we can see a real effort to get everybody on board and together. There can't be any weak links in this chain. There can't be any weak points in their united front of these lies. So with everyone in agreement, it just looked rock solid. It looked watertight. There's just one problem. Just one problem. And the problem is stated in Proverbs 11.21. Proverbs 11.21. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. And that's exactly what happened here. I mean, their problem was just simply God. That's all. He's not mentioned anywhere in the chapter, but he's still their problem. Because God said that even though they had all their hands joined together, God's hand was not in their hands. Isn't it interesting how sin always goes this direction in the sense that it blames someone else? You know? It all started with Adam in, in, in Genesis 3.12. Genesis 3.12. And the man said, the woman... Whom thou gavest to, you know, to be with me. Oh, well, she gave me, you gave, she gave me, and I did eat. Adam blamed Eve, and he blamed God. But Adam didn't blame himself. Sin always looks for someone else to blame and does not take responsibility. And who are they going to blame here? Some evil beast. <laughs> Some evil beast. The evil beast was really to blame for what happened to Joseph, don't you know? And you always know a person is saved when they stop blaming others and when they blame themselves. And that's what will happen when these brothers finally come to blame themselves and not some evil beast for what happened to Joseph. And this is going to happen. This is so exciting. This is going to happen when we come to Genesis 42, 21. Genesis 42, 21. They said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, begged for his life, and we would not hear. Therefore, it's just this distress come upon us. See, that's when the brothers are finally going to be saved from their sins when they come to say, we are verily guilty concerning our brother and not some evil beast, but just we alone are guilty. This contrast of putting the blame for their sin on someone else with the, we will say in verse 20, some evil beast hath devoured him. And their statement in Genesis 42, 21, we are verily guilty concerning our brother, it marks out for us the essential difference between a person who turns and runs from God in his salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and the person who turns to God and reaches out to God for mercy and salvation. You know, these two verses here, this contrast here, this verse 20 that we're looking at in the Genesis 42.21, 42.21, it shows us the same difference between the man who was justified before God and the man who was not justified before God in Luke 18.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13.5 point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.